this computer. Um, Recording in progress. I'm good with you. Okay, now I can't hear you. You can't hear me? Oh, yes, I can. I can hear you fine. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's all. Right, hang on. Just, just try and read the set of my shoulders. You, you, you're used to occasionally seeing me. You're used to knowing what, what <laughs> this sort of thing means. I was, usually, yes. I was usually in front of you in the boat. Actually, yes, you were. There was that, there was that time when um, we suddenly decided that Mark Hancock and I would move from stroke and seven down to the other pointy end. And you, you and I want to say Matt Bucknell would suddenly become our new stroke pair. So yeah. In the week before Henley... And I think we did something like a 252 for a K or a 248 for a K. And everyone thought that it was a wonderful idea. And then we met Green Lake and we got, we got mullered. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think... I mean, do, do you know the whole story about why Green Lake didn't go to the final? Was it because they all met English Roses, married and settled down within a few days of trouncing us? No, so um, it was actually... Ooh. I'm actually talking about something quite controversial here. But basically, um, the day after, so they went out the day after, which was like the horror show for us because we were at the very bottom of the ziggurat of failure. Yeah. So basically, we lost. The people who beat us, they lost to the people who beat the next day. And there's just like this chain of losses right up all the way up above us but the people they lost to were a maidstone and victor crew right but they weren't really a maidstone and victor crew they were this massive kind of i mean it was all within the rules they'd all been members of maidstone and victor since like april the 13th or whenever the date is like middle of april but they were blatantly kind of at least four of them were from Evesham and four of them were from Maidstone. And it was basically, it's like this this kind of GB club juniors all-star boat. And they were absolutely massively fast. But the thing is that the reason they beat Green Lake was because Green Lake went into the barriers. That hardly ever happens at Henley, though. I mean, you know, and no one ever goes into the island, either. <laughs> not off the start. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry, we're, we're recording, um, and I'm, I'm not going to lose that anecdote, um, because that, that is actually, that, I mean, and apparently that boat, which... Um, there is, I think it got in through qualifiers or something, and there's still quite a lot of controversy about the fact that it went on till, so what, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It got knocked out on Friday, but it knocked out three other boats to get there. Yeah. Um, and one boat in the, in, in the qualifiers didn't qualify because they were there, and everybody said it was always oh, very dodgy, it's very dodgy. But there's there's hardly there's hardly you know any tradition of people parachuting in their mates before big races. There's I mean literally at Henley, I can't think of any club 
who repeatedly faced, you know, semi and full internationals in semis and finals for a period of about five or six years. Certainly not a club that we were associated with very, very closely and got hammered by them before going, going back to their day jobs. It never happens. I can't believe that they allowed it to happen on the year when we pulled a 248 in reasonably flat water. I'm obviously talking about the Irwell here. Um, shortly after you'd been um, pr- promoted to stroke and I'd been put down at the end where the Knackers live. Um, no, I mean, okay, three is the Knackers seat. Two and Bow considered like quite important. But no, yeah, that was, that was, that was a fairly dramatic uh, thing. But no, yes, this does happen in Henley all the time. Of course it happens. Of course it does. Who are um, we kidding? Yeah, I mean, I've I've done a whole thing about carpet bagging. I I believe that there, you know, there's something to be said for carpet bagging, particularly in sort of medium-sized clubs where you've got an eight consisting of eight people, you know, eight blokes all going for the Thames. And if you if you know that your seat is safe. If there are only eight people in that club, you're going to put in the top eight, and there's like there's no one else. There, there might be some bloke called Darren or Andy who used to row a few years ago that you might call up as a super sub. But if you know it's just the eight of you that are going, ye, the threat of carpet baggers keeps people doing their irks round about May, May June time. You you, you don't get lazy if you know that there are like there's a bunch of like university students who used to be juniors and they're like now really good. Well, you say that, and and I can see your point a lot. I actually, or weirdly, I always preferred head racing, but I always preferred the ergs after head of the river on. I like the short, brutal. I, I'm actually literally spitting blood stuff here. Yeah, it's more fun on ergs. It's much, much, much more fun. Um, so you can say, you know, there is a place for carpet bagging, but I'm fairly sure that if you were to have that conversation with, say, a well-respected high-performance club coach of our acquaintance with a Scottish accent who would have won Henley about six years before he actually managed it, he would point out that, you know, carpet bagging um, is not necessarily a good thing. Well, you know, I... I'm going to say, actually, no, it, it's like, it, ethically, it's a very questionable thing. But again, I do, I do have this, this genuine feeling that if, if you've only, if, if you've got, if you're in one of those situations where there are eight seats and eight athletes, one or two people are going to start skipping on ergos. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if they know they're going and it's all about Henley anyway. And it, it's one of those things that if you know, if you're from that club, you also, and you've done it a few times before, you know you're not going to win short of meteorite strikes and, you know, crocodile attacks on the Star and Arrow boat. But... <laughs> not that we haven't all wished for crocodile attack on the Star and Arrow bait, but I, I do think that you you can really get to that point where you just like kind of people start slacking off 
when they know that they're in the boat and that's it and there's no one else that can take it if if you if you say oh so and so who used to row at this club last year and has been with imperial for a year or something but he hasn't made the imperial boat just saying that keeps people honest yeah i suppose so i'm trying to, i'm trying to think if 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 dennis ever used any threats like that I, there was a chap called rob who i seem to remember being quite fast who who kind of turned up sporadically just before henley there was also simon charles who, who never actually seemed to appear at the boathouse much before head of the river but always seemed to do quite well um but as for the crocodile attacks, surely given the 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 um, the, crook, the crook crest and logo of Leander, surely we should be more worried about attacks from hippopotami and pink ones in particular, which I believe are indigenous to the um, the Thames region between Hambledon and Marsh Lock. Rewilding this is isn't it? This is the great Jackson rewilding plan. It is. I I just I want to know why they're pink. Um, because because um, it gets so hot, it's global warming. Hippopotamuses oh. have a fundamentally pink sheen underneath the brain. Right, okay. So, um, so, so that stretch of river between Marsh Lock and Hambledon Lock is, is subject to overheating and it's essentially broiling its wildlife. Uh, pretty close, yeah. Okay. If, if, if you drop the lobster in there, it would come out hot pink. It would be cooked. Oh well, that's um, that's good. That's good to know. The next time I, I take a young lady on a on a on a date, there and the, I have the champagne on ice, and I, I have the live lobster ready to be dropped in something. I can just basically chuck it in the river with a bit of string attached to it, and then whip absolutely. it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just make sure it doesn't get swallowed by a hippopotamus. Just well. make sure it doesn't get eaten by a hippopotamus. I, I did wonder if it was something, if the hippopotami was something to do with Leander, uh, the name, which is obviously a classical reference. So the club was invented by someone with a classical education and whether, whether when Byron swam the Hell's Point, um, he would, there was some kind of reference to, to hippopotami in there or in ancient Greece in that particular stretch of, of water too. Obviously, I, I believe, I believe that this is, this should be a, a little Broken Oars prize tweet that goes out with this broken thoughts which is why is the leander um mascot a hippo wrong yeah. answers only okay Be wrong answers only definitely yeah yeah so so essentially we we've because, because there's, there's there's a clear reason that you can like google in about 90 seconds I have, a, I have a strong suspicion, given the, the, the imperial um, era in which it was founded, that one of the founder members, um, there, there, there are two options I'm going with. One of the founder members was a raging alcoholic and in his delirium tremens uh, used to see pink hippopotami attacking him. Or one of the founder members was a, a noted explorer, uh, went to Africa and was eaten by a hippopotami or hippopotamus that had a noticeably pinker sheen than the other hippopotamuses. I would say that's ridiculous because hippopotamuses spit the bits out afterwards because they're uh, vegetarian. Oh well, they'll chomp that. down on you. They've got big old teeth, but they they will they will spit you out. 
apparently more more dangerous uh, in Africa than than your average lion, black mamba, or indeed laughing hyena. Or crocodile, um, even. Yeah, they they kill a lot of people. Well, uh, I, they're very aggressive, very territorial, and wander quite a long way from uh, the river at night. A bit like some of the members of Leander, then essentially. <laughs> Yeah, uh, basically, you could just get savaged, couldn't you? <laughs> get savaged by a wandering, slightly drunken Matthew Tarrant. No, he's not even from Leander. He, he, he's, he's an Oxbrook's hippopotamus. Um, so, so can I assume that, that we've actually started the Broken Thoughts, um, whatever this Broken Thoughts yeah, we, I, I, Yeah, another Broken Thoughts episode. We are actually just rolling and riffing on this. But I think we should discuss the main sporting news of the day, the day that you should, you know, you should mark in your diary to remember where you were when you heard that Jess Eddy had broken the hour record, not just for 30 to 39 British women, but for British women full stop. And she just has gone out there and knocked it out. And... I absolutely love the fact that rowers do this every so often because I've, I've said this before, but you know, you, you look at when cyclists go for the hour record and it's like that they, they put a whole team together and it's a media event. And you know, there's the aerodynamicist and the nutritionist and there's the special, you know, they, they bring in, an hour ergo, an hour sort of like cyclocross coach for some reason. And they get, you know, the aerospace company and the hydrocarbons company to make a new chain loop and somebody designs their shoes for them. And they do all these things and then they turn the heat up really high in the velodrome and they go for it and they go around and they've got TV cameras. And then when a rower decides, right, I'm going to go for the hour ergo, they just open their back doors out into the garden and just like turn the fan on and just have it, which is just, it's just really kind of like a nice contrast to say, right, I'm going to have this. Yeah. It says everything that cycling is and it says everything that rowing is. Um, yes, Jess Eddy has broken the world, sorry, the, the hour record for... Um, not just her age category, but but all age categories. And as she has said, some some young whippersnapper will will probably have a pop at it now. But it's it's an amazing achievement on a day when England finally snuck past Germany in a football match. And having watched a bit of it, I, I find it. I don't know how we won two world wars against the Germans. I'm beginning to think that having having the largest empire in history might have had something to do with it. And the the whole we stood alone narrative might be complete and utter bollocks. Um, I, I um, think the Americans helped both times, and, yeah, and, and the Russians were a constant presence. Yeah, but we tend not to focus on that. We tend to, we tend to focus on the you know we few we happy few. I know that's Henry the whatever from the Henry. <laughs> yeah, that was different. That was the French. Yeah, that you know um, the, the the whole never in the field of human conflict. Uh, blah 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 blah. We stood alone, shining light, the sunlit uplands, etc. Um, etc. Et yes, um, 
I've had a look at Jess Eddy's splits and, and um, yes, damn yeah. fast is all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. I, that one, I still think I could go that fast. Um, and and it's, it's also the, the really good thing about an hour. It's not just like, it's not, you can do it as, a tr- you can do it for training. It doesn't have to be a test. You can go out there and go incredibly fast, or no, not incredibly fast, because I've also looked at the men's records, and it's just like, ah, oh, yes, you did. You held one thirty-nine splits for an hour. That's quite good. Um, it's pretty savage. I I, um, I I used to be able to hold one fifty-five for my eighteen or twenty-one k, um, which basically means that that Jess Eddy is is. Um, still faster than me so yes didn't yeah. d- didn't big Stewart from agecroft once once have a, a casual pop at the, at the at the world marathon record because he got halfway through and decided to keep going or there was some kind of story that he was visiting a relative and there was a competition on and he came within an ace of breaking it uh, i think i have heard that but having Having tried to do not not go for a record because that'd be ridiculous, um, but having tried to do something very similar with a half marathon time, mm. I know for a fact you cannot just chuck these things at the wall. You have to have you. It, it's one of these things you have to do your carbo loading the night before, and you have to have like you know your three bottles of Lucasade Sport. I imagine if you're doing marathons, probably more than three, because that is that is the occasion uh, that I. That's the only time I think I've ever bumped where just like just everything just goes out of you. Yeah, and you just feel completely washed out. And the last five k of that twenty-one thousand and ninety-seven meters was just horrific. What did you do? Sorry? What, what time did you pull? Can you remember? Um, I, was, I was on for 146, and then the last 5K hit, and it, and it dropped down to something like 147.4. So I think that comes out to be like one, one hour and 14, maybe one hour and 17, somewhere around there. Okay. Between one hour 10 and one hour 20. I've done a couple of half marathons at, at rate 18. Um, just because it's essentially like doing a 21k all at once, all the way through, yeah, sort of approach. But I've never actually, I probably, well, actually, I can't, I can't say this. We all know what my my 2k score was. It was the sort of thing that that a small asthmatic child could pull. Um, it was it was somewhere in the 120s, I think, which is about a 155, 156 average. I can't, yeah. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't like to think of having to go sub 150 and then sustain it for essentially, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. And, you know, sub, sub 150, sub 148, sub 147 was, was pretty nasty, even when it was just a half hour, let alone an hour and change. I was, I was very fit at the time. I mean, that, that was pretty close to physical peak. Yeah. You're yeah. Still very, you, I mean, I was, and I'm, I'm quite glad I got that score down. Because I'm, I'm not sure I'd have, I'd have ever done it at any other point. It was it was a very random series of events that led up to me just saying, you know what, I'm just going to do this. 
just going to have a go. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, I, I, I'd just like to say congratulations to Jess Eddie because doing an hour is, is horrible. And it's really, really, you know, the first 10 minutes feels fine. And then <laughs> the next 50 feels pretty grim. Um, and I think it's great that she, you know, in general, I think it's great that uh, athletes, rich rowing athletes are just taking on challenges like this and sort of really knocking out of the park pretty much. I think so. I, um, there's, there's been, it's not been a great period for anyone in the UK or indeed worldwide with the, with the pandemic. I think things like Zoom Ergos, um, the, the alumni of the great and good who, who, who've chipped into lead sessions and that kind of thing. And the kind of collective spirit of rowing has really shone through in, in, the, in the online events and, and people like Jess doing this sort of thing. I think it's great. Yeah. Is it just me, or do you feel that at the moment, kind of international rowing has just gone completely quiet? That just everybody's just got their heads down, they're just going for the Olympics? I think, in, with regards to the British, from what I can tell from some of the Twitter posts, I think it's gone very quiet because they're still trying to untangle the boys so they can lay out the course. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> in the lake of antiquity and tears. Otherwise, yes. known as silver retina. Yes, I, I imagine it's very like Christmas lights. You know, you 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 store them neatly, but when you come to to put them up every year, they just you know the Christmas tree. Of... You, you you store your Christmas light lights neatly. I just stick them back in the box and just hope. Yeah, um, I I have a certain um, neatness um, fetish, which would come as a surprise for anyone who actually looked any further around this room at this point, because it looks like a small bomb has hit it as I'm busy organizing uh, various things into various folders. But yes, um, so I don't know. I mean, is this the time to go into our Olympics episode or do you want to actually say I, that? I, I, I think we should leave the Olympics episode for another time. But so hang on, what? This is the problem with broken thoughts when you when you don't write everything down. And you're just like, right, hang on, let's 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 think this through. But there, there were definitely things that you know. Oh yes, we should. I think we should tell people about the fact that you know we're actually in boats again and we've got plans and the uh, you know Tyne RC has either a suspiciously fast quad. Or possibly a suspiciously slow eight, and whether or not that speeds up or down is kind of like depends on when whether a certain northerner is sitting in the eight or the quad. Um, I've been racing, went to an actual race in an, an actual actual, race. Yeah, um, came third, which is not bad for like the fifth outing I've had in about five years. Um, and I'm going to be going to another actual race. I'm going back to Henley Masters. Why, why can I, I mean, firstly, congratulations. But secondly, can I ask why you haven't just found a club in the manner of Maidstone Invicta and just gone for proper Henley? You're clearly still fit enough. Um, I, I, don't, I genuinely, well, I don't know. I, I would probably have to ask for a huge amount of latitude on training because all the training I do 
people would look at me and go, well, that's, that doesn't, what you're doing doesn't make sense. And it kind of makes sense for me because I'm trying to stay within the limits of increasingly creaky joints. Right. And so um, Masters rowing suits me a lot better where it's just like, yeah, we get together a couple of times a week, we go for a row and nobody, you know, there isn't this kind of, there isn't a training plan to follow. I, I don't, I don't, I can follow, I can follow something approaching a training plan where I train five days a week. But if it's someone else's training plan, there'd have to be a lot of excuses saying, look, I really can't do that one like that this week. And you're going to have to trust me that I do kind of, I will get faster, I promise. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm at a point where the slightly more relaxed nature of Masters rowing suits me much better. So. Yes, it was just the use of the words, the slightly more relaxed nature from a man that I know to be pathologically intense about winning stuff. Well, there is that. And, and, and we, we did go to the um, British National Masters and race in C doubles. And that was actually really good fun. Um, and Nottingham was very nice. It was a very nice day at Nottingham Marine Lake. Um, and, and it was like, there was a little bit of a breeze and a little bit of chop that just made things interesting. And we came third in a boat that isn't quite as old as we were, but it's not far off. It's definitely kind of like late eighties vintage. <laughs> it pulls round to stroke side, something fierce and, uh, it cost it cost my rowing partner £250. £250, very well spent, though, I feel. Yeah, so, you know, that, that's actually... And, and as soon as we... Because we, we took a slight bet on the fin, because the fin was bent one way. And because we, we, we went out for the first... for the heat, and it was clearly pulling around stroke side... And we looked at the fin and we thought, that's either been bent because it's pulling around to stroke side to counteract and we need to bend it more that way, or it's been bent and that's why it's pulling around to stroke side. And it turns out that we bent it the wrong way and pulled around even worse. And so we kind of were just like, there, there was a lot of if onlys in that race that if I, you know, if we just, if we weren't basically rowing the entire race on our right legs as opposed to sort of like pushing with both legs we might have gone a lot faster um but where's the fun in that yes I think that? and it was it was actually a lot of fun um it was it was a bit of a shame because there there were there's no two ways there were lots of covid regulations mm. it was it was a much lighter crowd they'd uh they basically said i mean it's a great event really nice um but they basically said there was no doubling up so lots and lots of people who would have normally only made the journey to race in two or possibly even three boats hadn't turned up so that was it um 
but yeah, it was um, it, it it was a really nice day out. It was it was nice. We we didn't we didn't we didn't actually get a bronze medal finishing third because they only given away gold medals, which is okay. But there you go. I'm just I'm just happy that 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 someone a very dear friend uh, and uh, and also another rower has finally had a, a nice day out in in Nottingham at a rowing event at, at, at something that I, I've never I don't think I've ever come across before. It's always it been like blow. It, hmm? no, it, it, it was genuinely really nice. I'm I'm sure that we went to Nottingham when it was actually there was one nice day at Nottingham that we, we had. did. We we had a we had one nice day where there was no wind and it was blisteringly hot, and I want to say Peterborough, but I'm probably wrong. Peterborough schoolboys handed us our backsides in a sling again by taking a length off us at the start, and laughing all the way down the course at, at our far superior two K scores as we tried to, <laughs> as we tried to knit our boat together on the hoof. I absolutely hate rowing against schoolboys. It's it's just one of the worst experiences, and I think that. Fundamentally, rowing in this country would be better if there was an over twenty-three category that no, no, like foul university students or schoolboys could get into. They always seem to be incredibly well drilled, and their their two K score might not be as good as yours, but but they make up for it by actually you know catching and finishing together. Stuff that we used to just, if we get it, it's great. But if not, it's not that important sort of thing. Yeah, like the, the, the early days of uh, the red hot chili peppers. We tried to get in time and it didn't really work. So we just dropped a lot of acid and saw what happened. Yeah, um, pretty much. That kind of thing. Not that we're recommending that anybody out there take drugs. But, so, oh. yes, we... Um, we have we have both been rowing. Like, I think that's pretty good, and I think that the it's good to see some kind of return to the world of water rowing. As much fun as I've been having with all the ergo events um, over the winter, I think it's really important. Um, after talking to Kate, it's obvious that British rowing membership has taken a bit of a hit. That there are clubs that have been struggling some of whom might not come back um there are obviously programs that have been affected like learn to rose uh, a lot of junior courses clubs that do outreach into into state schools where where rowing isn't on the on the curriculum have really had a hard time of it um i know that time united have certainly felt the pinch in that regard and to be able to get back out on the water and for everyone else to get back out on the water after what's been a, a very, very grim year, uh, and there's no two ways of putting it, has been fantastic. I do have a question, though, um, which, which your scientific brain will be able to answer, uh, as opposed to my non-scientific brain. Um, so, as you know, I rode quite a lot at Agecroft. You know, we've yeah. talked about the amount of training. Um, and all the way through to about 2015, when I did the length of the Thames, and then for various reasons, haven't really rode since. But I found that with, apart from falling in in a single skull, which we'll gloss over because I was obviously trying very, very hard. But that's the only reason that I fell in. It wasn't anything to do with burying my bowside blade and being too lazy to correct it. Um, 
the length of time off doesn't appear to have really impacted on my technical ability. Now, there are two, possibly two reasons for this. The first is I, I have no technical ability for the time off to impact on, or B, rowing at a reasonable level for a reasonable length of time puts it into your neural pathways and your muscle memory in, su in such a way that even though you can tell the difference between you at Henley and you now, um, to the ob observer looking on, it still looks like rowing. And to you in a boat, it still feels like rowing. Yes, you, you have to get your timing and yes, you know, it gets better the more you do it, but the basics don't seem to rust too much. Explain that to me, please. Um, I'm not sure I can explain it to you with any certainty. I do think there's a huge amount of muscle memory involved. And I do think that a huge amount of what kind of being a good rower is, is kind of just time spent in the boat. And it, it is one of those very irritating things about rowing for people who come into it in later life is that just someone who's kind of dabble, you know, who has been out of the boat for months and possibly years can jump back in and actually obviously be a better and more connected rower than you can be in any time in the first kind of like three years of your rowing career when you're like doing three sessions a week and i think that that is a it is just a function of habit to a certain extent there is a riding a bicycle um in the same way that you know riding you know learning to ride a bike is actually quite a difficult and counterintuitive thing once you've learned a lot of it becomes reflex and you can just get back on a bike and ride it. And I think rowing is more complicated than riding a bike and even less intuitive. But at the same time, once you develop those skills and habits, and also I think there's a very big thing of being able to say, ah, oh, yes, I know why I didn't get that last stroke right. And I know what to do to correct it. And that I think is a real problem for beginners as well, is, is not knowing what you're doing wrong, not knowing and not being able to see, you know, your, your blades happening over your shoulder. And so when you kind of, when you just say, oh yeah, just, just drop it in, you know, just drop it in as it's going backwards. It's like, well, yeah, I, I did that. That's exactly what I did. And, and you, as a as a coach of novice rowers, it's very difficult to get people to kind of work out what the end of their blade is doing. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to focus on the handles and stuff like that. So I think I think that's what it is. You know what the handles should be doing, or you know what. If, you, if I do that with a handle, that's what's going to happen at the other end. You've worked yeah. out, you, you've literally worked out what's on the other side of the looking glass, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. And there's, there's, also, a, there's also, because of experience and time under the wheel, there's, there's, 
there's an awareness of what it's supposed to feel like. There's a, there's an awareness of sequence and ratio and rhythm and, and what they are supposed to be, even if you're not quite there yet. And yeah. if something goes wrong, you know, if you, if you, if you wash out because you don't stay connected all the way through or because you, you rip it at the end, you know, well, actually I know, I know why I, I did that. So next time, I won't. I just found it. I found it very, very interesting because I know that if I don't play the guitar for, for example, for a, a period of time, the basics are still there, but the the nuance and the fine control and you know the lickety split stuff that that appears to impress people, you know, the the A minor scale played as Yingo J Malmsteen might play it, would take me some time to work back up to. But I was quite surprised by how in place everything felt pretty much from the off. So Ingwe Malmsteen would play it with the dragon? He'd, he'd probably, in the background or, or a flaming sword, possibly? Possibly. Uh, I'd, I'd have to source a dragon. They're in really short supply in the Northeast since we started killing them off. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I also think that certainly from my own kind of recent experience of coming back into it, I think you have a much better idea of how rusty you are when you're playing the guitar because you have very, very objective measures of whether this is sounding good or bad. It's like, it's like I'm holding the beat here. I think there's a lot less objectivity going on in a rowing boat. And so you could be going along to, oh, wow, I'm really getting back into this and it's feeling good. And then you just like, you go and look at the GPS trace and it's like, we were doing 205 splits down there. That's terrible. <laughs> it's like, we're an adult doing rate 24. We can't be doing 205. We must be beating at least two. So I, I think, you know, you can, um, you can fool yourself just because it feels in time and it's you know the blades are more or less off the water and you just kind of think and then when you actually look at some objective evidence of how quickly you were moving the boat maybe you weren't moving it that quickly yeah but do people actually do that do people actually look at gps because essentially what i do is i just look at the size of my puddles and if and if they look pretty big and like they used to look at agecraft and if I'm completely knackered and can't walk by the end of the session, then then I've done all right. Again, I feel that these are subjective measures of boating performance. Um, but Puddles, yeah, I mean, so. the puddle size. I can't believe you say that. Listen, it's either a big puddle and it looks right, or it's not. I mean, what's subjective about that? I mean, okay, quite literally, I have heard rowers discussing how to make their puddles look really big <laughs> without any extra effort. Yeah, it's just like, apparently, if you like, you slam it in and you go quite deep and then you bring it back up, you, you, you get a bit of froth to push it around a bit. Are you, are you talking about Chapman, who used to, apparently this was a trick that Manchester Uni taught him when, when if you're feeling tired and hungover and, and Mark Parsons was coaching you, this is how you fool him into thinking that you're putting a shift in. No, mine are, mine are perfectly neat blocks of water with the, with the double swirl and all of the rest of it. 
you know, I, I, I am self-deprecating to a, a, a degree, but my puddles are damn big. Those salmon that we caught <laughs> on the Tyne were really, really startled by the sudden appearance of my blade about six inches from their head as they basked like lazy, fat, silver tortoises just off blading. No, I, 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 do, I do think it's quite important to get an objective measure of your, of your rowing every now and again. But again, GPS isn't that objective because it's like you might be going at sort of like, oh my God. One of my favourite ever races, again, was on a boat that was pulling radically round to stroke side, um, but was head of the Medway. And we had a screaming flow tide and a screaming tailwind. And we did a 5K race in under 15 minutes. We were holding 130s all the way down there in a quad. And we weren't a 130 for 5K crew on any kind of normal still water. But that wasn't the water we had. I mean, it was just, it was... Um, so yeah, there, there's lots of different things. And I, I think you can often fool yourself into thinking you're growing better than you are. Right. You're actually up against like other people who are on the same water at the same time trying to go faster than you. So you've basically rained on my parade. I, I haven't picked up where I left off. I still can't row. I, well, no. I mean, I, I think probably by now you'll have picked up where you left off technically. Yeah. Um, and I, I think also being an older and not necessarily as strong athlete means that you're better at feeling what is going on in the boat. Because yeah. I definitely know that one of my problems was trying to take a harder stroke than anyone else in the boat. And that doesn't usually leave a lot of room for feeling the timing of the rest of the boat on the footplate, if you're basically, aha, footplate, stamp on it. <laughs> um, you, you know, you don't get a lot of feedback through that. Um, and, and actually being prepared to be a little bit more relaxed and actually doing some genuine medium and light pressure work. Yeah. The stuff that when you're young, it's not that appealing because it, it's not showing, you know, how, how big your biceps are and how amazing your yeah, crew is. Uh, I mean, I will, I will give you the, the one about the, the medway because I, I remember when Chapman dragged me back into a boat at Agecroft um, after a brief period off. We went to Nottingham and it was, uh, I don't know why the race went ahead because it, it appeared to me like the river was in full spate. And between the top of Nottingham Head and the bottom, uh, I think I took about three strokes because the river was simply moving that fast. And we were off the water and 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 packed away before the next boat came into um, in, in, into view. And we we did win, but we weren't we weren't that fast of a boat that we basically horizoned the the opposition um, without a bit of kind of extracurricular help. Sean had al albus oil on that day as well. It stank. I, I, I'm sorry, I need to try this out of us all. The, the next time, I don't know, if, if, if I actually do like an hour sometime at, at the end of the week or something and see how it goes. Um, but yeah, that's... Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think races like that are great when 
you just get like some screaming tailwind and you just feel the banks going past you. It's fantastic fun. I think so. I'd, I'd um, like. I'm not. I'm not coming back to rowing um, to race. The competitive instinct is essentially dead, and also because I don't like being beaten, so I'd rather just not do it. Um, it's nice to be back out after a, a long period where I didn't row for reasons that were out of my control. Um, I, ca- I can't. I missed it at the time, but it was only in going back there that I realised just quite how much I did miss it and what it actually gave me in my life. Yeah, I mean, no, that's... Oh, no, Spitfire has been brilliant for me. Spitfire Rowing Club, um, the youngest and smallest club in Britain still, and we, we, we are just a shared boathouse on the banks of a river where people very, very rarely row or do anything particularly um, in the far southeast of... England. In fact, we are the most southeasterly river rowing club in in the country, basically, which is quite cool. We, we are we are a proper provincial club um, with with lots of very very old, practically recycled boats, and it's really quite charming and fun. Um, and yeah, no, I oh, I think that should be it. Really, you should just like get out and boat. But speaking of biceps. Pete Reed published a picture of himself today. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, not yet. And of him doing an erg with his top off back in the day. The man was a bloody golden god. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely absurd. Um, but yes, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, not sure I have anything else to say in these, in these sort of rather quiet moments. Whereas everything is very football orientated, not very rowing oriented. I think we should leave it there, but we should definitely come back and um, do our, our Olympic one because essentially everyone has done an Olympic one now and that they've all covered much the same topics. And having seen the notes that we've made for our Olympic episode, I'm fairly confident um, that we're going into areas that others haven't. <laughs> Where possibly... others fear to tread. Yes. The Glover Paradox. Yes, the, the Helen Glover Paradox, uh, among among other things, yes. Um, yeah, okay, let's leave it there. I'm going to call it a day. Right. That's it. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, we'll just pop that one out. I'm just going to stop the recording. Yeah, I think...